Good morning, New River. Good morning, everybody that's here, everybody that's with us online. It's a real privilege to be a part of this community with you and just such a blessing. I know we just prayed, but I always like to just pray that God would just kind of use me as a conduit. So I just want to just really quick, and normally when I say really quick, I mean like really quick, so just hang with me. Dear Jesus, speak through me. In your name, amen. Life preserver. When I say life preserver, what do you, what do you think of? Let's make sure we've got the same thing in our mind, the same image. Let's throw it out to me. When I say life preserver, what are you thinking about? A boat, okay? What else? A buoy. And a, like a buoy up and down, a buoy... The circle thing. Now, that's kind of the one I have in my mind, okay? So when we're talking now about the circle thing, what do you think of about the circle thing? What is that circle thing? Very specific. I like it. Gives us a chance to build, though. I like that. The circle thing. Tell, tell me about that a little bit. Keeps you floating. What's it made of? Foam. Most of them are made of foam, right? Is, are there other ones? When I, the ones I think of are always the ones that are made of foam. Yeah. There are inflatable ones. I'm sure there are. I know that there are floaties for sure, right? Your kids can sit in those floaties. When I think of the life preserver specifically, I'm thinking of that one that's kind of heavy and made of foam. It always seemed kind of dangerous to me to throw that at someone who's in the water. <laughs> Bonk, you know. But... But apparently they're amazing, and apparently they work. So if I had some big life preservers, I actually was going to try to bring several. You know how hard those are to find in the winter? I actually had friends who, their kids swim, and she couldn't even find them. Apparently they put the life preservers away at the pools in Franklin during the winter. Just a little heads up, parents. Um, but I asked her to go look for these life preservers. And so if I had those life preservers here right now, and I was to take them and just kind of throw them out, if you want to you know, put your hands up if you want to catch a life preserver from me right now. So here he goes. I throw out this one. Patrick, you get one no matter what. It's coming right at you. Catch it. Got it? Okay. All right. Todd, boom. Somebody over here want a life preserver? Okay. Boom. Okay, we got my life. Now, if you just took one of those life preservers from me, what do you, what do, you do with it? What's a life preserver good for? It's not, not a trick question. It's right there. In the, it's right there in the. It's right there in the question. You hold on to it because it's supposed to do what? Save your life to preserve your life. All of you that just caught one of those. What, what do you do with the life preserver? What do you right now? If it's going to save your life, what do you do with it? Hold on to it. What, what else could you do with it potentially? If it was big enough, you put it around you. Right. One of the craziest things about those life preservers, you just put it around your head, hang on to it with both hands. And you can kind of float there without your head going underwater, right? So if you're really actually going to hang on to that, Todd, if I throw it to you and you're like, you need this life preserver right now, what do you do with it? Grab it. Hang on to it, right? Life preservers. Crazy cool things. Okay. I'll come back to it. <laughs> Wrapped presents. I don't know if your family is evil like this, but in my family growing up, there was always this thing about at Christmas or birthdays, Sometimes the very best present was always wrapped really in an evil way. It was this ugly box, or if it was a big thing, it was put out in a little small box, and then you had to go find it. Or if it was a little thing, they hid it in a big box. My family was just that way with presents. 
I got a little, little thought for you this morning. My, my message this morning, 11.59.59. Some of you, were you waiting for that to start counting down? Anyone? <laughs> gotcha. 11.59.59. Sometimes God gives us presents, and they are wrapped in the weirdest way. Aren't they? I did, take COVID, for example. What present did God give you that was wrapped in COVID? Isn't that a horrible thing to say? Sorry. Even as I, I was practicing that aloud to Julie at home, and I was like, Ugh. <laughs> What present did God give you that was wrapped in COVID? I have a, I have a number of presents. They weren't, it wasn't super fun. It's still not. But God gave me some really great things in the middle of this upside down, insane time in our life and in our world. Faith. What is faith? Hebrews 11, 1 to 3 and verse 6 are some of the most famous verses about faith in the Bible. Can I just say this about faith as a theological concept? If you're a Christian... Faith is one of these things we just love. We just love to talk about it. We like to pray for it. We like to pray for it for other people. Faith is one of these theological concepts that just, it's a feel-good concept, right? Faith. Our faith is built on, and you can fill in the blank, most of you. What is our faith about? What is faith? It's a feel-good word, right? The, the Greek word faith is where I'm going to start. This word Pistis. In my mind, it's a, the, the word I automatically put in there and said, because that word doesn't make any sense to me, is piston. This thing that drives what I believe. It pushes it forward. This word faith. Hebrews 11, 1 to 3. Let's start there. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We jump down to verse 6. Now without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. From these verses, some things that we can draw out about faith. Faith is being persuaded. It's when we are persuaded, when we are convinced that something is true and specifically something true about God. It's when we are persuaded about this thing. That's number one. One of the first parts of the definition of faith is when we are persuaded. Number two, it's the confidence in certain divine truths. So when I talk about my faith, my faith in God, my faith in God's goodness, my faith that God can be trusted my faith that when God says something, when he promises something, he follows through on his promises. This is faith in certain theological concepts. This is all this feel-good part of faith, right? I like to believe, I really do. I like to believe that when God says something, boom, he's going to do it. That's cool. 
My faith, that builds me up. That makes me feel good about what it is. When I say I believe in God, I have this faith piece, this component that is a feel-good component, right? Being confident in certain divine truths. Okay, real quick. Patrick, life preserver, where is it? What'd you do with it? Put it over my head? (laughs) It's over your head. You're still holding on to it? Good job, Todd. Yeah, yeah. Come on, be honest now. Be honest. If, you, if I threw you one of those life preservers right now, what, what do you do with a life preserver right now in church, sitting where you are? Set your Bible on it? Put it in the seat next to you? Do you need a life preserver right now? No, is the answer. In case you're wondering, some of you seem confused. Um, I know. <laughs> you don't need a life preserver right now, right? You take your life preserver. If I throw it to you in the middle of the church, you go, cool. This is bulky. I'm going to put it over here. I'm going to set my Bible on it. What am I going to do with a life preserver in church? What do you do with your faith when you don't need it? What happens to our faith when we actually need it? If there was a tsunami washing through our building and you had a life preserver, you would be grabbing that thing. You would be clinging to it. What happens to our faith when we don't actually need it? What happens to our faith when we do actually need it? You see, faith becomes this other kind of thing when we actually need it. Because usually what's going on around us when we need our faith is no fun. It's bad, it's hard, it's difficult. And when you actually need your faith, it becomes so much more than a happy little feel-good concept. Faith, this thing we actually need. Here's a definition I came up with a number of years ago, and I just wanted to share it with you. Holding on in the darkness to what you believed in the light. Mm. That's not not an easy definition right there. It's not easy for me. Holding on in the darkness to what you believed in the light. Some of you know that our family, when our kids were six and eight, we moved our our family to France to live. And we left Southern California. We moved to France. We had to raise our whole salary to go pastor this church in France. We had people say to us just straight up, whoa, I'm just not sure I could do that. I'm not sure I have the faith. We had that conversation with a number of people. And they were kind of putting us up on some kind of this little, up, like a little bit of a pedestal, which I never really handle very well, if you know me, because I don't really stay on pedestals very easily. I've got a lot of things wrong, so I just kind of fall off pedestals left and right. So I would just always challenge those people. I'm sorry. If God had said to you what he said to us, there's no way you couldn't do this. We can't not go to France right now. We know God's calling us there. We're convinced. We're persuaded. We believe he's in this thing. But we had to raise all this money. We had to make all this stuff happen. We had to sell our house or figure out what to do with it. We had to sell our car or figure out what to do with it. It was an insane process. And it happened super fast. But but we were persuaded. We were convinced We had learned something in the light, which is really good because what happened was we walked into the darkness. France was hard. First thing that happened, in the first couple of weeks we got there, the dollar dropped 30%. 
We had raised just enough money to make it work. Now we lost 30% of that money. All of a sudden, it was like, whoa, whoa, what do we do? And then we found out that learning a language, good night. I'm horrible at it. I went upside down. I just wanted to tell people all the time, in my own language, I'm smart. <laughs> in my own language, I'm funny. I'm not an idiot. I'm not a three-year-old. But I lived in that tension for six years because I'm not good at languages. You know what? It was really good that in the light... God had revealed that he was good and that he could be trusted to us and that we knew that as a family because all of a sudden we needed our life preserver. We got to France and I was drowning. It was so hard. Man, I'm glad that in the light God revealed that he was good and could be trusted because we had to cling to that when we needed it. Faith when we actually need it, not tons of fun. I'm going to interview my daughter, which is super fun. I'm going to bring McKenna up here. I'm going to have her tell a little bit of her story. I know some of you know us and some of you don't know us. So some of you may have been wondering, who is this person that he's bringing? He and his wife keep bringing this girl with them, this, this young lady. This, this is my daughter. This is McKenna. So uh, this is our first time ever to actually get to teach together. So that's kind of cool. It's one of my gifts. This is one of my COVID gifts. It's going to come, that's going to become clear in just a second. This is going to tie in. But I'm going to interview her just for a moment um, and give you a little bit of insight into some of the things that God's been taking our family through, some of the things that God's been taking McKenna through, uh, through this, uh, this crazy time of COVID. So McKenna, you moved to Australia. Why did you move to Australia? What, what, what was that process? Um, yeah, quite a long process, but um, I graduated from Biola, where mom and dad graduated from in um, May of 2018, and um, in that whole senior year, I was trying to figure out what was next, as so many college kids are trying to figure out, and um, we went on a trip the summer before I graduated to the Philippines, um, where mom actually grew up. And it was such a special time because I got to be abroad again and experiencing life overseas. And I felt the Lord just clearly tell me, your time is not over. Like, I have you overseas. And so through a series of events, I just started asking people that we knew, kind of throwing out, um, you know, my bait, seeing what would land. And, um, and friends in Australia had a job that incorporated coffee, which was a practice I was studying, and um, a missional heart. And so it was two things that I loved combined. And so um, I said yes, and I moved a few months after I graduated. What was the best thing about moving to Australia? There's a lot of good things about Australia, but probably, yeah, he knows. <laughs> Um, probably the lifelong souvenir I get in my husband-to-be, Caleb. So pretty good souvenir. Yeah. <laughs> Not a bad souvenir. Tell us a little bit about Caleb. Yeah. Um, Caleb and I met um, bowling, actually, three weeks after I moved to Australia. And we were friends for six months. Caleb is from 
an amazing family, a pastor like dad, very similar to um, my dad. His dad is, so that's pretty fun. And um, yeah, he's the oldest of four and just this amazing Christian family. And that's been probably the second biggest blessing is just getting to know his family and feeling really close to them in my time there. So yeah, we, we were friends for six months and then started dating uh, December of 2018. So we've been together just over two and a half years. So tell us about your faith journey, planning an engagement in the time of COVID. (laughs) Yeah, um, as Keith and Megan know from the beginning, Caleb and I are very different timing-wise. I am like fast as a bullet, and Caleb takes his time and appreciates quality. So we know faith for me has been a challenge and a beautiful blessing in dating and being engaged to Caleb. But specifically with um, getting engaged during COVID, it's been a process. When we got engaged, I didn't even know if we would get a wedding. And so I held that with a total open hand um, as I have these entire months, eight months that we've been engaged. So yeah, we got engaged June 26th of uh, 2020. And for months, we just didn't plan. We just left it open, and that was hard for me. Um, And then we felt like the Lord had kind of put it on both of our hearts that I would come home, that I would get to have time with mom and dad before I got married. And so um, it's a very complicated situation, as Lindsay knows, but uh, it's, it's essentially illegal for Australians to leave Australia right now. So if Caleb just boarded a flight, he would go to prison for five years. And because I'm applying for my citizenship, I'm under that to a degree. So when we felt like I was supposed to come home, we just didn't know how that would look. We had to apply and it was totally in the government's hands. So we did, we applied and I heard back like 24 hours later, which is unheard of. It should have taken so much longer. So we just felt like, okay, the Lord is busting down doors. I meant to come home, this is great. And so, so I did. I got to spend Christmas with my family. Um, and we knew the next step then was figuring out how to get Caleb to the U.S. Because my family can't go to Australia because it's also illegal for Americans or anyone else to enter Australia. Yeah. So we knew he had to come here if we were going to get dad to walk me down the aisle. So there's a time frame that we had to adhere to. And about two months out from his departure date, we started the process of applying for his government exemption. So we got all our ducks in a row. We were all ready and we had had mine so quickly. I felt super confident. The Lord's going to do this the first time I'm ready. So we applied and we applied under a business reason, which was the legal advice we got. It was, it was a safe bet. It was kind of this not as connected to my soul reason. And we waited the two days and we got a no. And it was really hard. (laughs) I've never seen Caleb cry so much. I've never cried so much. I've never wanted something so much and been told no. So I kept it to myself. I didn't let too many people know. My family knew, but we kind of kept it on the DL, just hoping that um, it would all, you know, brush away, blow over the next time. We'd get a yes, be all good. So then we regrouped. We felt like the Lord was not saying this was over yet, so we tried again. And we tried with another kind of safe bet. And um, we put everything into it, gave it all we could, and we got another no. (laughs) And it was hard. It was so hard. 
And I felt what the Lord was telling me was, you need to let people in. It's over. Your time of being put together and getting it on the first try is not happening. So you need to tell people. So I let 150 wedding guests know that we have no idea if a wedding's happening. Great, you know, so good. And I let my whole community in to the vulnerability of asking for a miracle. Thank you. This is where we were last Sunday when we came to church. Talk about clinging to our life preserver. We showed up here last Sunday and we were like, God, we need you. We need an answer. Papa Bear wanted to kick down some doors. Papa Bear wanted to go find a boat and smuggle him. I know it sounds funny, but I was actually trying to figure out if I knew anyone. So was his dad. So he and I were scheming about how we might actually smoke. I mean, sorry, I know. We were, I was ready to kick down some doors, man. You don't want to see your daughter gasping in pain. Faith isn't a lot of fun when we actually need it. Holding on to something in the darkness that we learned in the light is not a theological concept for the weak and the easy. When we need faith, we need it. We need it. This chapter, Hebrews 11, read it. Read the whole thing. Dive into it. It is so good. One of the stories in here happens in, uh, it's hard to look at your notes when you got like tears in your eyes. Sorry, I'm like squinting around trying to get my eyes clear here. Hebrews 11, 17 to 19 is this story. It just kind of, they kind of slotted in here, but it's, it's actually in Genesis 22. Go read the whole thing. Because the verse, they just give it three verses here. Let me, let me read these, these three verses for you. Because this is, uh, this, is, this is an interesting little story that they kind of slot in here as an example of faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Don't go too quickly past the last three words. Offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in fact offering up his only son. And the next verse, there we go. Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offering, offspring be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. In the Genesis 22 version, we don't get this little insight right here. Are you kidding me? This was the faith Abraham was holding on to? God had called him to go offer up his son. The answer to his prayers, the promise God had given him in his old age was the son. And now God was calling him to go up and sacrifice his son. They, the story in Genesis 22, they talk about getting off the donkey, unloading the wood. It says Abraham took the wood. No, Abraham didn't take the wood. Abraham just directed the wood to be given to Isaac. Isaac had to carry the wood up the mountain that he was going to be sacrificed on. While they're walking up, they have this conversation. Hey, dad, yeah, see, so you've got the knife. Yeah, see, so you've got the wood. Yeah, so you've got something to light the fire with. Yeah, dad, yeah, we don't have a lamb. Isaac's no idiot. They're walking up the mountain. What's going on in Isaac's mind? 
What's going on in Abraham's mind? God gave me this son. And this crazy story goes right up to the point that he takes the knife and is about to sacrifice his son. 11, 59, 59. God shows up at the last second, in the last minute. God shows up and does something only God can do. Stop. I provided a ram. Whoa. 11, 59, 59. Sometimes God waits right till then and says, this is when I'm going to receive the most glory. This is about me. You can't do it. You can't pull it off. This is the faith when we actually need faith. This is not a timeline any of us are comfortable with. Let's just be honest. A couple minutes earlier, God would just be awesome. Maybe we could have found the lamb as we were walking up the hill. Not when the knife was in the air. 11, 59, 59, God shows up. As a church, we stand in front of a bridge. We've been looking at vision, and it's been great to talk about our vision. We're heading towards this series called Bless, and I'm so excited because it's about equipping us as a church with simple, meaningful strategies to take the gospel of Jesus out into our communities, to our neighbors, to our friends, the people we work with. Spoiler alert, Satan doesn't dig this kind of thinking in a church. He likes it when we huddle here and enjoy warm platitudes about faith. He likes it when we have these happy concepts that we talk about. He does not like it when we take this stuff and we gird up our our bodies with it and we go for it, that we allow it to change the way we live. That is not what he wants. Faith sounds great as a theological concept upon which our beliefs are built, but what happens when we need it? We will need faith. We will need faith. And this is is challenging to me. I use some things that that I'm guilty of. It's always interesting when you talk about neighbors and loving your neighbors, and then one of your neighbors comes to church. Thank you, Tony. Tony's keeping me accountable. We're going to need faith to carry the presence of Jesus to neighbors, to neighbors who don't bring the trash in. I don't know what it is about my recycling can. My recycling can is down in front of Tony's house. It can't stay up. It never stays upright. My stupid recycling can falls over Almost every single Sunday night. I put it out there by Monday morning, it's tipped over, and all my garbage is all over the ground. I'm that neighbor. Hate that. You probably have a neighbor like this that leaves their garbage can out too long, that irritates you, like me. Maybe your, your neighbor has a dog. My dog is not a barker. Maybe you've got a barking dog close by, and that neighbor just irritates you. My dog is the pooping dog. And I walk down to, to the street sometimes and I don't catch the fact that my dog is pooping on my neighbor's yard. That's not a good look to, for, to be that kind of neighbor. Maybe you've got that neighbor. Have you seen that video recently where the guy has the bullhorn? Anybody else see that, the viral video? Comes out of his house. He says, your dog just pooped 
on my yard. The lady jumps, and she, she did, and then he makes her clean it up. It's awesome. Sorry, that's just me. Um, that's just throwing that in extra right there. What about this one? This one's, if you know me, you know I have a few opinions about politics. <laughs> just a few. What about a neighbor that has a sign in their yard that you don't like? If they've got a sign in their yard that you don't like, it's going to take a lot of faith right now in our political climate for you to engage that neighbor. Again, believe me, I'm talking to me first. I've got one right across the street. There's a sign in their yard and it bugs me every single day. I just want to go tear it out. I've come up with ideas of ways I could rip that sign out. We had one of our neighbors over and we had this amazing night and it wasn't very long into the night. We're sitting out by the fire pit and I just knew right away, we are not on the same page politically. <laughs> oh God, what have you done? And we kept talking. You know what? Our faith had better be more important than our politics or we are not going to affect our neighbors with the gospel of Jesus. We're not going to make a difference in Franklin. If your politics are more important than your faith, we are not going to make a difference where we live. We can't because you're building your kingdom, not the kingdom of God. Sorry, but that hurts. It hurts me. I sat there with her that night. And when we walked back inside, I said to her, hey, we can talk about politics and we can still be friends. She teared up. I teared up. It was intense. This is when we have the collision of Hebrews and James. James 2.17 says this. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Hebrews faith must collide with James' faith if we're going to make a difference in this world. Our faith must change the way we live. We must have good works. How do we show our faith through our good works? By being the blessing. Back to our, our notes about faith, pistis. This is number four. How do we show it? We show it through our good works by being the blessing. How do we grow our faith? We read, hey, this book right here is loaded with an 1159-59 God. Over and over in this book, we get the 1159-59 stories. God shows up. How do we grow our faith? We read. We ask God for more faith. We act on our faith, and we share our stories. McKenna, come back up. We're just going to tell the, the end of this story. Where are we now? From last Sunday to now. Yeah, so uh, we, we did plan this talk before we knew the ending, so it's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, and um, so we geared up for our third exemption with two that had been denied, and we had two days left until the cutoff point where we had to cancel our wedding. So we geared up for our third exemption and we took a totally different approach. We poured out our souls. We wrote letters of um, intimacy and expression of our faiths, our stories, why we want to be married under God with my family. We poured everything out, put everything on the line and we applied a third time. 
and three hours after the office opened, we got a yes. Yeah, praise God. His name was Kevin. He was our exemption um, grantor. I'll probably name my first son Kevin because, you know, <laughs> why not? Um, yeah, we had an amazing time. We got to welcome people into our moment of intimacy, like Jackie, who prayed for me, and uh, my girls from college who planned a worship night over Zoom, and we just cried and prayed and felt like the Lord said this story was not over, and it, it was not. So, yeah. Mm, thank you. Faith is not a lot of fun when you actually need it. Is God good? Can God be trusted? Those are questions we've got to get settled in the light. Because if they're not settled in the light, they're really hard to settle those questions in the darkness. This is when the life preserver matters. 1159 59, God shows up. You talk about a precipice. The precipice in scripture is never more clear. Jesus on the cross, dead. His disciples are saying, wait a minute. It's not how this, wait. He gets taken off the cross. He gets put in a tomb. Not only is he put in a tomb, he's in there for three days. How close to the precipice do they need to get? In the darkness, they were questioning everything. And 1159, 59, God did something that only God could do. And if we're going to affect Franklin, it's an 1159, 59 God that's going to make this little church a place of impact in our community. And Jesus, please cover us, fill us. Let this church be a place of sending as we go out with the piston of our faith in you. You are good. You can be trusted. Multiply our effectiveness for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.